0: Praise you. Mighty God. Oh, mighty God, there is no other. There is none who even come close. There is none who compare to our God. We are children of the one true God. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have sent your Son. He died on that cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again. So that we, one of these days, might also rise to new life in you for eternity. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us where we were, lost and without hope. But God, you made a way where there was no way. And I pray, Father, that as we look in your word this morning, that you would strengthen it to us, that it would become truth in life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, you may be seated this morning. Just to remind you, if you came in late, the kids are watching a movie in Jody's room, a Easter movie. They are welcome to go there. If you don't know where it is, if you go back to the doors, I'm sure Buck will help you find where it is. So if the kids would like to go, you're welcome to if you came late this morning. It is Easter Sunday, and... As we think about Easter Sunday, I don't know, maybe your life was just about the chocolate bunny that you had or did not have. I didn't have any chocolate bunnies. But I believe that there's a message for Easter for each one of us. For every person on this planet, there's a story of Easter. And for those of you who are in Christ today, it is wonderful news. It's amazing news. There's a powerful and challenging in those truths, though, for us. And there's a challenge for those who don't know, are not in Christ. You see, because the Lord is risen. So there's three certainties of Easter that I want to share with you today. Three certainties that we can tell from, oh, the title of my message is Grace in the Morning. And this morning there's grace. In fact, if you are in Christ, every morning is full of grace. His mercies are new every morning. There's that old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Maybe you know it, maybe it's already going through your your mind and you're, you're remembering the word. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Oh, God, everything we need, you have given us. Amen? There is grace today. There is grace today. There is grace this morning. The first certainty that we look at is that we are free from condemnation. We are free from condemnation. By the power of the Holy Spirit I am rendered incapable of being passive or indifferent to the sin in my life. And yes, I sin. Don't look so shocked. You do as well. But we know that as we consider our sin if we are in Christ sin doesn't quite live in our lives anymore. It's not really part of our nature. Because we've Taken on the nature of Christ. So when we sin, it now feels uglier. It feels more discomforting than it ever did before. You see, but that's just because my sin doesn't just live in my presence. It dwells far more noticeably and painfully because it dwells in the presence of the Holy Spirit who also lives within me. You see, when you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your life. And now when we sin, there's those, those two natures again that are battling. Well, I'm not sinless. Nor are you if you are in Christ. I don't live in condemnation for the sins I've already asked God to cleanse me from. In fact any sin that you have you can come to him and say father would you forgive my sins and he forgives your sin He honors his word we're not condemned by that anymore God's grace is greater than any of my sins or even in fact all of them piled together and not just my sins but if we could collectively gather all of our sins God's grace is greater than every single one of them combined doesn't matter doesn't matter where, you, where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, his grace covers it. So I strive for holiness and I don't tolerate condemnation. Paul was forced to think a great deal about how the Christian was to deal with the sting and the pain of condemnation of the past sins. We, of course, know Paul, he, he tried to destroy the early church before he had that conversion on the road to Damascus. He came from a horrible past. And Paul, and as he looked back at his own life, he, he came to the place where he realized this words in Romans 8 and 31 to 34. He says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Notice that very first question. What then shall we say in response to these things? What things? You know, sometimes we read Scripture and we don't really say, well, what is he talking about? In order to understand Scripture properly, we have to look at the verses that preceded it and also the ones that come after it. We can't just take a verse out of Scripture or a number of verses out of of context. I learned that 30-plus years ago in Bible college. You can't just make the text say what you want it to say. So what are these things Paul is talking about? Well, let us look back first and then we'll also look forward. In verses 18 to 23, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await For our adoption to sonship. To the redemption of our bodies. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that has the effects of sin. Pastor Catherine talked about that last week. That's part and parcel of the world we live in. And Paul says we have to address, we we have to say something that makes sense. If you are a believer in Christ, you and I have been given the responsibility to say something that gives hope. Something that makes sense to this world around us. So if we look back, then let's also look forward in our next verses in Romans 8 and 33 to 36, it says this. from the love of Christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we face death all day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered our text today says you have something to say you have something to say when I said earlier Christ is risen. And you responded, he is risen indeed. I pray that that would not just be words because you've learned are repetitious words to say, but it would be, in fact, true in your heart. Did you say, you know what, Christ has risen. He, he is above these things in my life. He's above the things I struggle with. He's above my sin and my condemnation. Because we really do need to say something about it. Paul specifically links the the resurrection to the issues of condemnation. In verse 34, again, it says this, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. We need to know more than the fact that Christ died for our sins on the cross. We need to know that for more than just a fact. It has to become real in our lives. It has to become true in us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ does more than anything else to bring freedom from the guilt of past sins. You see, a dead Savior is no good to anyone. But a living Savior, a living Savior carries fresh grace into as many tomorrows as will exist. Grace in the morning. Every morning. Every day when you get up. Every day when you wake up, it's like, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercies are new. God, I thank you that you met me right where I am and redeemed me and purchased me back. Oh, it didn't matter that you're, you can't consider yourself maybe not that horrible of a sinner. You still needed a Savior. And every day there's grace. Every day there's grace. It's like, thank you, God. Thank you for grace. Thank you, God, that you have taken my sin. You've taken my shame. Who is to condemn? Well, all sorts of people do. Even in fact, our own thoughts condemn us, don't they? You know, when we sin, when we don't do what we should be doing, our thoughts are sometimes our worst enemy. Your enemies and your critics condemn. Maybe your own family condemns you. Certainly all the hosts of of hell making their business to condemn you. There's no shortage in our world of condemnation. Paul's point isn't that condemnation does come. Doesn't come, rather. Condemnation comes all the time. Even for things that you did not do. Somebody would like to place that on you. Paul isn't talking about what you and I say to those things. Or rather, he is talking about you and I say to those things. His point is this. Because we have a powerful advocate, because we have one who is interceding on our behalf, and that part I find amazing. You see, when I sin, and God the Father, and I stand before God the Father, his Son, Jesus Christ, who's interceding on my behalf, says, you know what, Father? I died on the cross for that sin. I paid the price for that sin. I covered that sin. My blood was spilt to make that sin vanish, to make it whole, to make it pure, so that I could stand before God as a person who stands before him with grace and mercy. Not getting what I deserve. Oh, that's amazing. Every single one of us get to stand before the throne of God with grace and with grace, with mercy. Not what we should have gotten, but with grace and mercy. All of those accusations are overruled. They're dismissed by our advocate who's there. Paul ties his answer to to the condemnation for my sin, not to my improved behavior. It's not, well, Daryl's becoming a better man, so he's not condemned as much. No, but very specifically and exclusively to Jesus Christ, to his death and resurrection. My hope is not tied to his teaching. That would just bring me more condemnation. It's to his atonement. It's to his death and to his resurrection. The second thing we're going to see today is that we can live a life empowered. We can live a life empowered in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 21. It says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparability, great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present but also in the age to come. Paul said he was praying that God would open their eyes and their hearts to see the greatness of this truth. He actually says this because he wants to pray and, and Speak to the church about the laziness and the apathy that's been distracting this church. says, so, you know what? You need to understand who you are. If you were in Christ this morning, do you know who you are? You are condemned no more. You are condemned no more. You've been set free from that. Not only have you been set free from sin, you've been set free from the condemnation of sin. He was constantly concerned that the people through mental and spiritual laziness would somehow lessen the force. That explosive impact that saw the, the new life that started in us, that, that same power that raised Christ from the, from the dead. Scripture says that lives within you as a believer. That that same power should quicken our mortal bodies. Now Somehow we lessen that when we say, no, I don't know. I don't know if God can give you the strength to overcome this. I tell you, if God can overcome the grave, he can definitely overcome whatever you're facing. He was worried that people would make the power of Christ smaller than it was intended to be. Paul hated religion without power as much as he hated religion without minds. He hated empty forms. He couldn't imagine anything remaining untransformed by the resurrection power. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 10, in the first part of that verse, it says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That'd be a good verse for you for this year. In fact, for all time, that I might know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that I might know him. You see, knowledge of Christ is incomplete as a mental concept. Knowledge of Christ means knowledge of his power. It's not just a head knowledge; it's an experiential knowledge. It's saying, "God, I I experience Your power." We need more than words. Resurrection says there's a Savior who lives, who works in power and makes people new. But sometimes, in our sin, sometimes we get this disparage sometimes in our lostness, sometimes in our bondage. That it looks hopeless as an unlikely future as as a dead person pushing through the grave. And it's like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I can make it through this. If Christ can raise, if, if God can raise Christ from the grave, he can change and transform your life. He can redeem your life. The third thing today is this hope for eternity. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 to 5 and also verse 13 it says this. Praise be to the God and Father our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 13, this is, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. The hope Peter says the mark of a mature Christian's mind is that it orientates itself to the coming of Jesus into an eternal destiny. The Bible says many things describing the present condition of those who do not live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's you this morning, whether you be here in person or watching the live stream. Maybe you've never come to faith in Christ. If we've never come to the faith in Christ, what it says is that we're lost that were unsaved, that were fooled, that were condemned, in fact, that were children of wrath, and so on and so forth. That's the condition of those who have not come to faith in Christ. In fact, in Ephesians 2 and 12, it says, remember that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. Let that sink in. Not just wicked. But wicked without hope. Not just lost. But lost without hope. Not just a sinner. But a sinner with no hope. That means without a conscious turning in repentance to Christ. God the Son as Savior and Lord. There's absolutely no chance for their present loss to ever be changing. There's no hope. You see if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you are a person without hope. You can't just get it. You can't acquire it. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. You can't attend church enough to have hope. It only comes by you understanding what God has done for you. By receiving what God has done for you in sending His Son Jesus to die for your sins. To be resurrected to new life so that you could have life in Him beyond this life. You see, many people try to put their hopes in different things today. They say, Well, I have hope that I'm going to get a vaccine. I have hope that it's only going to be two, you know, two weeks to flatten the curve. I have hope for all of these things. And God says, You know what? Put your hope in me. Put your hope in me. I don't fail you. I don't change my mind. Plus your hope in Christ. So I, and this church can't save you. No church can save you. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only understanding what he's done and accomplished for you can give you hope. In our text again, in the first Peter, says, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A living hope. The next verse in verse 13 says, Set your hope on the grace brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Oh, a living hope. The first thing Peter notices about those who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Savior right from the moment that we understand and receive Jesus as our Savior, is that we're born into a new realm, a new realm of hope. From hopelessness to hope. Wow. There's many in our world that have no hope. You and I have something to say. You and I have grace to offer in the morning. You and I have something to bring grace to say, you know what, there can be a different life, a a change in you. It says we move from hopelessness to hope. And it's a living hope. No Christian is trouble-free. We don't get all the answers in this life. But in every trial, every sickness, every loss that we face, every pain that we feel as believers, they're all mixed with hope. Because this earth is not our home. We know that we live in an imperfect world, so we're going to have some of these things. But we have hope that one day, in glory, we don't struggle with what we used to struggle with. We don't have the pain that we used to have. We don't have the, the, whatever, the, the, the loss that we once experienced. There is now hope. A confidence in, in the end, he wins. For the Christian, every trial is a temporary setback. The final destination for every believer is settled already. We have a hope of that. The trial is temporary. The destination is certain. This world is the shadow, and heaven is the reality. For someone not in Christ, though, their destination is eternal lostness. Every moment of joy, every achievement, every success, every period of happiness is only a temporary diversion. For those not in Christ, death only brings judgment and eternal condemnation. That's what Jesus constantly taught. But for those who know Christ, because Jesus rose from the grave, we too will one day rise. We too will one day rise and will live in eternal delight in Christ's presence. This is what it means to not merely die, but to conquer death. And once you have conquered death, if you were in Christ, once you've conquered death, tell me, what can stand in your way? Absolutely nothing. Once you've conquered death, what can stand in your way? Nothing. Nothing. This is just temporary. That's just a a blip along the road. As Christians, we're not to ignore the fallen world. We're to live in this world but not understand that this world is not our home. We are here to purvey and to convey hope to the hopeless. You see, the three certainties of Easter is this, is that the condemnation of sin is broken. We are empowered by Christ's daily presence, and we are possessed by a living and an eternal hope. You see, if you're not in Christ this morning, you can experience grace this morning. You can experience grace. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that news obligates people. You have to come to terms with the living Christ. You have to come to terms with what he said about eternity, what he said about judgment. And about life and how to find it. Religion isn't enough. Church isn't enough. Morality, being a good person, isn't enough. We need to be born into a living hope. We need to understand and allow Christ to take the darkness out of our hearts. How do you do that? You accept the fact that you're a sinner. Uh, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. That's not what I am anymore. I'm redeemed. So you have to accept the fact that you're a sinner. You have to believe that God paid the price for your sin in the person of Jesus Christ by what was accomplished on that cross. And what not only on the cross, but even him rising again from the grave. To give us new life and a hope of eternity. So accept the fact that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus was the price that was paid. Was that sacrifice that was given. And commit your life to him. It's not about joining the church. You can't sign your way into heaven. You can simply accept what God has provided for you. You can just say, God, I thank you that you've given me hope. I thank you that you've given me life. I thank you that there is hope beyond today. We all know the verse in John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I wonder if you could examine your heart with me today. if you're here in person or whether you're watching us on live stream, be saying, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that's me. I, I need to experience and I need to receive hope today. I need to have God's grace that is new every morning. And you need somebody to pray with you and for you we're going to celebrate the lord's communion before we pray though because i believe there's something significant in the elements that we partake in if you didn't get them there on the back table you can i'll wait for you but as we look at these elements this morning there's a bread It's a little cracker. It reminds us that there is one Savior. There is one Savior, one Lord. It's not like a, a, a Savior for one church and a Savior for a different church. There is one Savior. And it doesn't matter where you live. There's only but one who died on a cross for your sins. There's only been one who took you from law to grace. There's only been one who's given you grace in the morning. So as we look at this bread, we remember his body that was offered for us. And we say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for grace. Thank you for hope. Thank you for new life. So as we partake of the bread this morning, let us understand that there is grace today because of Jesus' body. We're reminded that after supper, he took the cup and saying, this cup is a new covenant. You see, he understood that it wasn't just a one time that they would need to do communion every single moment. He said, no, there's a new covenant. You're going from, from law to grace. And it's a covenant. It's a covenant that God has made with us. A promise. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus offered his life for you and for me to bring us into a new covenant of grace, of grace. Today we are saved not because of how good we are, but because of grace, because of Jesus Christ. So let us partake of the juice together, understanding of the new covenant. Some that was the first time you've understood a new covenant of grace, and you'd like prayer today. You want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'd be happy to pray with you, for you. Maybe you need some personal prayer in your body. Maybe there's some pain, some ailments, and you'd like somebody to pray with you and to anoint you with oil and to believe that God can meet your needs. I'm going to meet you down here at the front this morning. It's been so good to having you with us this morning. I'm just going to ask you to make this place a place of prayer. So if you want to say hi to some friends or family that you haven't seen, I'm going to ask you to please do that in the foyer today. But if you'd like prayer, I'm going to meet you right down here this morning. Whatever you'd like prayer for, I'm going to put my mask on and be happy to pray with you and for you today. May God bless your life. May God strengthen your life. May you know that there is hope for the morning. May God go with you today.